Let's turn now to Second Timothy and chapter 4, and we can read at verse 6. Second Timothy 4 and at verse 6. <clears throat> For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing, and so on. Dr. Sinclair Ferguson uh, tells a story about his experience in one of the seminaries in the United States of America. And he tells a story of the professor of pastoral theology. And his class gathered on the first day of the semester. They gathered in his class and they waited in anticipation for him. Uh, and he came in and to their surprise, he presented them all with a blank sheet of paper and he told them to go and to write their own obituary that he would leave them to do that and then come back and see how they could on. It was a surprising request on their first day, but his purpose in doing that is clear. He wanted them to realize that they had to live well for Christ and so that they might die well to be with Christ. And everything that they did from that day forward in their life and in their ministry was going to determine what was going to be in their obituary. And we have these words tonight, and they say something to us about Paul. And he was writing these words in order to encourage Timothy. Timothy, who was perhaps faltering, as we may see in, in, in chapter 1. Timothy, who was timid. Timothy, who feared everything that was happening around him. Paul wanted to encourage him. And he wanted to encourage him because Timothy was now going to take over from Paul and he was going to follow in Paul's footsteps. And Paul wants to encourage him by drawing attention to the very things that are important so that when Timothy himself comes to the end of his life, his obituary will be written and they will speak of the grace and of the power of Christ in his life. And I want us to, to look at these words tonight and to think about that. Paul is in prison in Rome in AD 65. Within two years, he's going to be martyred for the gospel. And then Timothy is going to take over from him. So what he is saying is critical, it's crucial for Timothy, but it's also critical and cru crucial because of the timing of what God is doing. And perhaps tonight these words are crucial for you and for me because of what God is doing with you, for you, and to you, and also for me. What is it then that we see in these words that will help Timothy? What do they tell us about Paul as he gives his final testimony to Timothy? Well, it's first of all to see that there is a realization. It's remarkable that we can be in places and in situations and we don't realize what's happening to us. We don't realize what's going on around us. 
We're oblivious to everything that's happening around us. And it's remarkable how we can be sucked into situations like that, carried through them, and emerge from them completely unaware of what's happening. Paul was very different. At every stage of his life, he could see what was happening around him. He understood all of these things in the light of his relationship with the Lord Jesus, and therefore able to assess what to do. And here in these words, we realize that he realizes that he is coming to the end of his life. It's not something that is common to us. It's rare that we hear of that. It's more common for us to hear of sudden death and of people departing from this world to their own surprise and to the surprise of others. It is a unique, it's a special relationship when those who pass from this world, when they know that their passing is imminent. And here is Paul in prison, and he's saying to, writing to Timothy, saying, I am already being poured out as a drink offering. His whole life has been given in the service of Christ. His whole life has been given in devotion to Christ. His whole life has been a sacrifice for Christ, as he says in Romans 12. Everything that he has done, he has done for Christ. But now he is at the stage where, where he sees his life being poured out as a drink offering. He sees his life already slipping away. And when we think of the idea of a drink offering, we, we are reminded of the, the same idea in the book of Numbers and, and the way in which in chapter 15 the drink offering was given to accompany a burnt offering. And here is, is Paul and he sees his own death as accompanying another death. He, he sees his own departure as accompanying another departure. In other words, as he saw his life being lived for Christ, and to say for me to live is Christ, so for me to die is gain, Christ has died for him, and now he is, he is going to die in order to be with Christ. And so his, his death itself is part of the process of completing the very work of Christ. But the Christ who died with him, who died for him, sorry, the Christ who died for him by dying for his sins, is now the, the Christ to which he is going as he passes through, uh, through death and goes on to be with Christ. And along with that, with that sense of being ready to be poured out, he, he sees himself also as, as unmooring and detaching himself from the very place in which he is found. The time of my departure has come. The moment is here. He is ready to leave the world there are two images that are connected with this idea of the time of departure. The first one is of, of soldiers folding up their tents after the battle is over, putting away their weapons, 
loading their carriages and moving on under the instruction of their commander. The battle is over. The victory is won. It's time to move on. And Paul sees himself like that in his prison house in Rome. He doesn't see his freedom in this world. He doesn't see himself getting out of prison to continue the service of Christ. But what he sees is the hand of his Savior instructing him, directing him, and even doing it for him, folding up his tent. And he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 that, that he is sure that when the earthly house of this tent is dissolved, we have a house not made with hands, a house with God in the heavens. And here he senses that the moment is there. And the other image that goes alongside of that is the, the ship that is unmoored and that is detached from the harbour and is ready to go on to the next destination. And again we have that, the hand of, of a saviour in this prison house in Rome in this symbolic way untying the ship, throwing in the ropes, lifting up the anchor and allowing the ship to set sail for the next destination. He realizes that his time in this world is over. He realizes that he's departing now to be with Christ, which is far better. And the way in which he, he speaks here and, the, and the, the terms that he uses suggests to us that this process has already begun. He knows that he is already dying. A remarkable confession, a remarkable realization that he sees himself already detached from this world and in this new way attached to his Savior in glory. He is ready to sail on to that heavenly destination. We have heard sometimes on rare occasions of Christian believers who know that they're dying, who summon their families around them and are able to speak of the grace of Christ and are able to speak of the glory which is to follow and are able to do so with confidence that they are going to be with Jesus. And tonight, it's a pressing question for, for you and for me. When this moment arrives, ar arrives, when we are in this situation, what will it be for us? Are we sensitive tonight to the movement and to the activity of our Savior? Are we sensitive to the way in which He is working in our own experience drawing us to himself? Are we sensitive that we are a journey with him through which he is bringing us closer and closer to himself? Are we so sensitive to his movements that when the time comes, we will be waiting and ready 
to depart and to be with him. And the answer to that question depends entirely in the first place on my faith in the Lord Jesus and secondly on my commitment and my life devoted to him. That life brings about the sensitivity that is so necessary for you and for me as we journey on in this uncertain life towards our certain departure from it and our entrance in to the eternity that goes before. D.L. Moody, the famous American evangelist, said on his deathbed, the earth recedes, heaven opens, I have been through the gates, don't call me back, if this is death, it is sweet. Dwight, Irene, I see the children's faces. There were his grandchildren that had been lost, that died before him. And his very image of life was, he was already in glory. He was already around the throne of God. And he could see those who had gone before him. What a realization. Does it not fill our hearts with with a a sense of longing to, to know something of this when the time comes? And to have our hearts excited in the very center of of these final moments of life, excited so much that we are able to say, if this is death, it is sweet. Don't call me back. Let me carry on through the gates that God, that Christ has already opened for me. The realization Secondly, there is reflection. He tells us about his own life. He tells us about the kind of life that he lived over 30 years of serving the Lord. He reflects upon life. And as he does so, first of all, he was no stranger to struggles. Is that not like yourselves? What is our faith? Yes, it has moments of triumph. But so often we are more conscious of the struggles of faith. Of the afflictions that come with faith. And of our need to persevere through difficulties. And why should, we, why should that cause us to raise questions tonight when we see in the Word of God that Paul the servant, the apostle of Jesus Christ, that as he reflects upon his life, these are the very things that he looks back upon. I have fought the good fight. He knows the, the, the arena of the games in Rome. He knows everything about the conflict that takes place there, the contests. And the picture that brings before us, it, it speaks to us not only of, of running a race, it speaks to us also of, of boxing and of wrestling and of all of these intense activities that were part of the Roman contests. 
and everything that he was going through in life, he sees himself as being like that. And when we see and, and read across Paul's own life, in Acts chapter 9, he is running for his life. He is sent away for his own safety. In Ephesians chapter 6, he is wrestling in that close contest as if something wants to try and overcome him, overpower him, even strangle the life of God out of his heart and, and strangle his life of faith. In 1 Corinthians 9, he is in that boxing match. He is, he is challenging what's, take, what's taking place around him. So in, in every area of his life, we follow his life through and we see the way in which he is engaged in that kind of conflict. And the conflict he describes as the good fight. How could any fight be good? Would it not be better if we weren't fighting at all? Would it not be better if we, if we had a life of peace and no struggles? No, Paul is saying this is a good fight. And not good because it is morally good, but good because it is purposed by God. The God who said in the first creation, when he saw everything that he had made, it was all very good. It's now saying about your life unto mine as the child of God, living by faith, it is good for you, and my purpose is for you, it is good for you to have the conflict and to have the struggle in your faith. It is good for you to go through these wrestling matches in, in your own heart, perhaps. It is simply good. Because what, do, what God does is good in order for what he has designed to be fulfilled. And Paul recognizes that everything that he had gone through, that it was necessary for bringing him to this point. And in, in so many ways, having completed the fight, that these things were the very things that gave him such a clear vision that gave him such a clear view of what was before him. They were the very ingredients that, that cleansed, that washed away, that removed the grit from his eyes, that, that gave him that 20-20 vision through which he see the, saw the glory of Christ. It was a good fight. And tonight we do have to see as, as the people of God that what we think we would be far better without is the very thing that we cannot be better without it. God has designed for you and for me the very thing which is going to refine us, which is going to perfect us, which is going to enable us to, to grow and to mature into the likeness of Christ. And so, we will come at last to say with Paul, I have fought the good fight. He didn't quit when the going got tough. When the going got tough, the tough got going. And he was strong and determined. And he was strong in the grace that there was in Christ. And tonight, 
you will demonstrate, give evidence of the genuineness of your own faith as you do exactly the same thing that when you are confronted with challenges and, and Satan is saying to you, you cannot believe, you cannot go forward, you cannot live this life, then you have to box with him. You have to wrestle with him. You're not going to run from him, but you're going to bring to him the word of God. And you're going to continue in that good fight as you go on in life and your devotion to the Lord Jesus. It was a life of conflict. But it was also a life in which she knew direction. I have fought a good fight. I have finished the race. So that sense of completing a life lived in the service of the Lord Jesus and coming now to, to the very end of that life. And it's interesting that the same word is used that, that Jesus used on the cross. When, when he had suffered for the sins of, of the people of God, when, when the darkness had been lifted, and he cried out uh, finally with a loud voice and said, It is finished. And he gave up his spirit. The same word, the same grammar, the same expression. Paul is so close to Christ that he can use the words of Christ that when he comes to, to the end of his life that he can say that he has finished the work that God has given him to do. In everyday life we recognize people who are so committed in their work that they go the extra mile for their employer we also know of others and they will do anything and everything to get out of their duties. And they are known not for their commitment, but for the way in which they will avoid the tasks given to them if they can. And there is no space for you or for me tonight to be that kind of person. The person that is saying no to the servants of Christ. The person that is saying no to the work of Christ and, and to following Christ. You are not going to be the person who will use any excuse not to do and not to go and not to be what God wants you to be. You are to be, as Paul wanted Timothy, you are to be the person who in every duty, in every work, in every calling, in every task, you are going to complete it by the grace of God. And then when you come to this point of realization, you will have the right to say the words of Jesus and the words of Paul, I have finished the race. And Paul in Philippians chapter 3, he gives us that picture. I don't say that I've already reached but one thing I do, forgetting what's behind me, I press on towards the mark to the, high, high pri the, the, calling of the, the, high, the prize of the high calling of God in Jesus Christ. There's a finishing line. And that's where he's focused and that's where he's going. And now he is just about there. The direction, the work, the service. 
And he did so with a wholehearted devotion. I have kept the faith. He has guarded, he has watched over, he has preserved the faith. Certainly it is his own faith, his faith in the Lord Jesus, but more especially, it is faith in the sense of the Word of God and the truth of God. At the beginning of this chapter, we see the way in which there is the Word of God being undermined and filtered down and being rejected and being replaced by what pleases those who want to hear things that don't challenge in the same way. But Paul was fearless in his life. He didn't water anything down. He kept the faith. The package, the doctrines of faith, the doctrines of salvation, the doctrines of the passion of Jesus, of the work of Jesus, of everything to do with, with the grace of God through which we are saved. He kept the faith. And so often part of their own great failing and their own great weakness is that the word of God becomes secondary. And we find reasons and we reason out other arguments so that we we can justify what we're doing at the expense of the word of God. And we can justify things like that when it comes to believing in the first place. And we can do so as we journey on in the life of faith, substituting, giving priority to other things over the Word of God, and thereby filtering down the Word of God so it no longer means what it does mean in our lives, and so that it fails to change and to transform. And how shameful it will be for us at the end if instead of saying by the grace of God that we have kept the faith how shameful for us to come face to face with the fact that we have rejected the faith or that we have abandoned the faith or that we have watered down the faith so that it is no longer the faith the word of God thought of that shameful encounter with the God who is our maker as we leave the shores of this world. May God help us to to be able to reflect upon life and to make a determined effort even tonight in remembering the story of writing our obituary to make a determined effort so that when when we do come to the end we may be able to say, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith, the reflection on a good life. What will your reflection be? What will other people's reflection be of your life as you depart from this world whenever that may take place? And thirdly, There is a reward. Paul sees the past clearly. He is able to analyze the past clearly. But he also sees the future. Henceforth, 
that is laid up for me, the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. Not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. There is, as Paul departs this world, as he sees his ship sailing, he sees that in the glory of God that is set aside for him, kept in store for him, waiting on the table for him, waiting for the table for him in that award ceremony which is awaiting the people of God. And, and it is remarkable that he is, he is using the very idea of, of award because award suggests to us that somebody is receiving something because of what they have achieved. It's an idea that perhaps goes against the very idea of the grace of God. But, but here we see Paul following the Lord Jesus who was awarded and rewarded for the work that he had accomplished and was crowned with glory and honor. Here we see Paul looking forward and waiting and looking to the crown of righteousness. And the crown was nothing really in the Roman games setting, in appearance. It was made up of twigs and of leaves. There was no value in the crown itself. But it was what brought honor to the athlete. And when the athlete was, was given the crown, having succeeded at the games, it was the emblem of victory. And his hometown and his home city would open the gates and wait for the athlete to arrive. And they would honor him because of what he had achieved. And here is, is Paul looking to go through the, the gates of heaven and looking to receive this, this crown of, of righteousness that God is going to give to him. And by the very receipt of this crown, he sees the image of, of entering into the, the great celestial city of the glory of God and going through the streets of that city up to the house of the king himself. Open to me the gates of righteousness. He sees himself entering into that glory and he sees him being awarded and rewarded for the work that he has done. And he knows and we know that the work that he has done will be all to the glory of Christ. But nevertheless, it is an award that's given to him that he sees laid upon him. And it is the crown of righteousness. And whatever we're going to make of that, it means at least that the righteousness is a status and an experience of perfection and of glory. It's an escape from everything that spoiled life in this world. It's the clothing with which the people of God stand before the throne of God. They are there in white garments. Who are these with white robes and palm trees in their hands? They are those who came out of the great tribulation and they have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. And here is Paul seeing himself in that great gathering with that crown of righteousness, the crown 
which is righteousness. The perfect state of the people of God. Tonight, what do you anticipate? What are you looking forward to? This crown is not exclusively for Paul. It is not only to me, but also to all who love his appearing. It's about our love for the Lord Jesus. He loved us and gave himself for us. He chose us. He poured himself into his relationship with us. He sacrificed himself. No cost was too great in order for us to experience his goodness and his well-being and to be transformed by that. And tonight, what is there in your heart with regard to the Lord Jesus? Are you saying that you love him because he first loved you? And because he first loved you, that your life is already devoted to him? And that however much you may see failings along the way, that nevertheless, because of the grace of Christ, that you proceed, that you persevere, and that you look forward to the day when you also will be crowned in glory with them. What is your anticipation? What is your expectation? What a great blessing it would be for all of us tonight as we think of, of our departure from this world, that we would approach it with this kind of experience, realizing that we're drawing closer to it, reflecting on life and making necessary adjustments in the light of the things that we have done wrong, and looking forward to this great reward provided for us that follow his example. May God bless his word to us and may enable us to prepare ourselves and to be ready to depart when the time comes to be with Christ, which is better by far. May God bless his word. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Gracious God, we do rejoice in you for the grace that, that brings your people at last to glory. We do give thanks to you for the great example of the, your servant Paul. We give thanks to you that he was an imitator of the Lord Jesus. And we pray that we may be imitators of him and of the Lord Jesus in our lives uh, and walk in these paths and follow in their footsteps and know their experiences and share in their joys as well as their sorrows. And so that ultimately and at last we may go to glory to be with you where all of our pains and sorrows will be left behind and where we may find rest when we arrive on the shores of the great eternity and then enter in at last to the place and the haven that we desire to see as all of the people of God do. So hear as we pray and bless your word to us for Jesus' sake. Amen. So we're going to conclude now by singing Psalm 107 in the Scottish Psalter. These words familiar to us that speak of the goodness of God and of us arriving in that place of rest into which the people of God enter.
Psalm 107 at verse number 26 on page 384. They mount to heaven, then to the depths they do go down again. Their soul doth faint and melt away with trouble and with pain. They really stagger like one drunk at their wood's end they be. Then they to God in trouble cry, who them from straits doth free. From verse 26 to verse Mark 30 to God's praise. The mountain to Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all now and forevermore. Amen.